Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive Home and Auto Policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Bring yourself back online. No one knows what I'm thinking. Tell us what you think of your world. This is just a cheap trick. Some people choose to see the ugliness in this world. The disarray. I choose to see the beauty. Hello and welcome back to Still Watching Westworld. I'm Vanity Fair Senior Writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair Chief Critic Richard Lawson. If you are just joining us for the first time, what we do on Still Watching is Richard and I pick a show that is currently airing that we are sort of obsessively watching. And we break it down week by week, talk about themes or questions we have. Uh, we tend to have a lot of questions around the TV show Westworld. So we have a, we have a lot to talk about this week. We are talking about, uh, season three, episode two, the winter line. We will not be spoiling anything that comes after, uh, season three, episode two, the winter line. Uh, Richard, on a scale of one to 10, how excited were you to find out that this was a Mave episode? I mean, very excited. I feel like <laughs> when Maeve is back, we're back to Westworld as we know it. You know, the premiere episode had to establish the new stakes and the new realities of season three. I understand that. It wasn't my favorite episode of the show because it just didn't feel like the show. And now this episode, which is largely set in Westworld or a version of Westworld, as we find out, um, I felt like we, we were back with our old friends and the old rhythms. And um, I really appreciated that. Love it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because this is a very, uh, sort of plot wise, fairly straightforward in terms of we are only really following two main characters. We've got the Maeve stuff and the Bernard stuff. Um, and they interact very briefly, sort of in an abstract way. But, um, these are our two plot lines. We have none of the like major mainland stuff. So, um, that's what we will be talking about this week. But before we get into episode two discussion, I just wanted to go through a few emails that we got from listeners about episode one of the season. Um, you can always email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Um, we love your questions, your comments, your corrections. Uh, all are welcome, uh, especially as uh, Richard and I are cooped up in our houses. Uh, there's nothing to do but read emails sometimes, it feels like. So, um, 
I want to start with this idea. This this comes not from one specific email, but from uh, a few responses I've gotten about, um, you know, that implant that they were taking in episode one, that sort of like digital implant sort of take the edge off the pain uh thing that the uh we yeah. saw a couple times in episode one uh someone pointed out uh, or a couple people actually pointed out that the implant itself though it has like a little chip in the middle kind of looks like a communion wafer in that it is like wafer shaped and the way in which it's sort of is especially as it's given to caleb's mom in the hospital almost looks like taking communion and so this idea of like gods and worshiping technology and and like communing with technology and stuff like that is something that's sort of on people's minds thematically this season and so um a listener named christian wrote in uh this email he says in the season three premiere at the 52 minute mark a goon is pointing a gun at caleb's head uh and he says uh want to make it the first time getting shot in the head and Caleb Caleb replies someone else beat you to that too uh the second the words leave his mouth the side of Caleb's head the exact same spot Dolores pointed to at at the insight party the nucleus accumbens uh and said was responsible for religious belief becomes brilliantly illuminated it's a very weird blink and you'll miss it moment but it doesn't seem to be a coincidence what do you make of it will dolores become the god or higher power that caleb comes to believe in uh love the show keep up the great work christian um i missed it uh maybe i was blinking i haven't gone back to check uh to see uh what christian's talking about here um it is something that westworld might do so uh i'm not saying uh, it didn't happen but I do think this idea of like Caleb as a, as a lost soul and Dolores as like something that he can latch onto, um, is, is pretty convincing to me. Um, and whether or not that takes on sort of like a, a religious worshipfulness, uh, we'll see. Do you have any thoughts about that, Richard? Well, I mean, they have been referred to as gods before. I mean, right. uh, if I remember correctly, and like in the, in the, per, the, the premiere episode, you know, Dolores says like the, the, the real gods are here and they're, you know, angry or whatever she says, you know? Um, yeah. so clearly this is like, this season is like pointing us somewhere in that direction. Um, and I think the interesting thing that episode two sets up with, um, you know, at the very end of the episode, like Maeve receives some sort of, um, you know, mission, uh, that she's not accepted yet, but I assume will, um, you have almost then warring deities. And so is this kind of like the war in heaven kind of, you know, happening in, on, on the human, ter- you know, plane and, and what that means for everybody. And, um, I don't know. I think that's an interesting setup. It brings to mind a little bit like Jacob man in black losty stuff a little bit, you know, this kind of duality that had to do with sort of supernaturally kind of overseer people, um, so yeah, I'm, I think that, I don't think that anything on this meticulously, um, rendered show is an accident. So I appreciate the, the, the listener kind of pointing that out in their, uh, letter. Yeah. It's interesting to me because, um, this idea, it, it, I didn't notice until I went through the first season and episode one, um, in the obsessive way I do sometimes when I create the posts that live on VF.com where I make these like comparison gifts where I take something from an earlier episode and I smash it together with something from a current episode. Uh, it helps me see connections that I missed before. And like, I had forgotten to put together the idea that when like Dolores stumbles out of that tunnel into Caleb's arms at the end of episode one, that's the exact same way that she met 
William in the park in season one, right? She stumbles out of the tree line into his arms. It's like almost an exact um, sort of shot for shot uh, recreation of that. And I think we did mention last week that like Caleb says he's looking for something real. He needs to find someone real. And right after that, obviously Dolores stumbles out into his arms uh, and William was looking for the same thing. So this idea of like, the pursuit of the real. I don't think they're going to retell that story. So Caleb, I think, has to react differently to the revelation of who Dolores is than William does in order for Westworld to not be completely repeating itself. Um, and then, you know, and, and what you're mentioning in terms of the, the war in heaven, um, like, um, between Maeve and, um, Dolores, that's sort of like you're thinking like, like the like the archangel Michael like like is it like is it like Lucifer in the fall like is is Dolores Lucifer is is uh is Maeve uh you know the Judeo Christian God that we've come to believe like how would you cast those roles in in these power these powerful beings? Well, I don't even know if it's something. I, I mean, I guess maybe the analogy wasn't completely apt because you know there there is. There, I guess there is a presiding God in terms of like the people who created this technology. Um, and maybe, or maybe God is this new thing we're learning about the big kind of glowing orb thing that seems to be able to predict the future. Um, you know, so I don't really know, but I think, or it could just be, um, two very powerful entities vying for a position that doesn't exist yet, you know? Um, and I think the interesting thing about the character dynamic um, between Dolores and Maeve is that sometimes Dolores as a character, I, I think she's compelling and I think that Evan Rachel Wood is great in the role. Um, but like, she's so kind of monomaniacal that like, you know, she's, she's kind of, she's on, she's kind of on the set course that, that feels very deterministic. Whereas Maeve is such an unknown, like she's not Lord Dolores's enemy. She's not her ally. Dolores has, or, I mean, Maeve has such kind of complicated motivations. Obviously her daughter is kind of chief of mind, but now her daughter is quote unquote in a better place. So what does she just trying to join her there? What's what the kind of ultimate plan will be for Maeve? I think really interestingly offsets um, this sort of mandate to rule that Dolores has, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I and I think, that. and yeah. I think that Ciroc at the end saying, you know, this big glowing orb or whatever detected an anomaly, something that it couldn't predict. And we thought it was you, but it's not you, but you, st- but you're still right. You know, so I think that like all of this kind of power dynamic is at a very interestingly precarious spot. Um, now that Dolores has, um, I guess there's, there's, you know, Bernard too, but like really may have in an interesting counterbalance. Yeah. And maybe what if it is Bernard? You know what I mean? Like we're assuming like he, Sorak assumes since it's not Maeve that it's Dolores and Dolores and, and Maeve assumes that too. But Bernard is still a player on this table and like Bernard switched, like tends to switch allegiances, uh, over courses of seasons. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what, what he decides down the road. Yeah. Or uh, the yeah. unknown variable, Joanna, could be love. <gasps> Oh my gosh, this is a Jonathan <laughs> Nolan uh, joint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We should remember Interstellar. Um, okay, uh, the uh, the last thing, uh, the last email that I'm going to read before we'll sort of dive into this episode directly is in response to something we were talking about last week, Richard, when you raised the idea that um, certainly not everyone on the mainland can escape to Westworld, uh, you know, if they want to, because it's very costly and... Uh, uh, 
I'm going to read. The person did not sign their email this way, but it's how their name is displayed on their email. And, and I just want to give them the full honor, honorific. So Dr. Robert Handy, which I think is a great name, uh, wrote in during the early uh, episodes, it was mentioned the cost for one day at Westworld or Dallas Destinations was $40,000 in today's dollars. Uh, so $40,000 a day uh, to go to Westworld. So, you know, just in case. You were planning to save up uh, for a trip. That's how much it would cost you. Um, all right. So this episode's called The Winter Line, um, which is a reference to uh, World War II, uh, you know, uh, fronts fought in Italy. Uh, so a very apt title uh, relating to Maeve's trips to this uh, simulation of War World. Richard, you said you had some questions around this episode. Do you want to start with your with your questions that you have uh, about what happened here? So I've seen the episode a couple times now and definitely um, understand it more than I did on the first go around. But, so obviously Maeve realizes that she's in a simulation. You know, because obviously the hosts are in the real corporeal world, but just living in a kind of loop thing, right? Right. And the first season is about them breaking out of that loop. Right. And then the second season is about kind of figuring out what to do with that consciousness. And also we kind of learn more about the technology. So I guess what this episode is kind of, I forget if it's reminding us or establishing for the first time that this technology can put consciousness into a physical robot body and send it out into the world or the park or whatever, or it can play that consciousness out in, in virtual reality. I guess that's kind of what the, where, where all the other hosts went, you know, right. They're, they're non, non-corporeal now. Right. 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 So they have this technology to kind of keep files kind of ever running or what, what simulations ever running, but they just don't have any body to them. Right. So I get that. I guess my question is when Maeve has that dawning consciousness that she's in a simulation, how can, with this control panel in the simulation, can she control things in the real world, meaning the robot that takes her pearl and tries to make a run for it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like she's acting as sort of like a, almost a virus in the system. Like since her consciousness, her code is in their system, she can then move around in the lines of code of their system to control other things that are controlled by their system, including that robot. Does that make sense? That's yes. how I would interpret. Okay. Yeah. So she's just like she's she's in the matrix. She's she can exactly. do a lot yeah. of things. Okay. And that's I mean so the parallel to that in season two is um you know Anthony Hopkins's character Robert Ford um you know his human self died in season one. Dolores shot him. He's dead. But he had uploaded his own consciousness to um the cradle. Um, which is the name of like the place where they stored all the guests back up and, or I think, or he was in the forge. One of the two, he's in the lines of code of the park is the point. And we found out that he was like controlling a bunch of stuff from behind the scenes from inside the code. So it's sort of like a yada, yada, yada hand wave. Like once you're inside the code, you can kind of, and you're smart enough, like Ford is and like Mava is you can move around and sort of manipulate other things, you know, and Sirak is enormously impressed by this. Obviously he's like, you rewrote your own code, like the, the code of the system in real time. That was incredible. So, um, 
Yeah. So it's not like a, it's not like a small thing that she accomplished. It's a, it's a huge thing she accomplished, but that's, that's the thing about Maeve. Like, I feel like the only people that we know who would be able to do that, that we've met are like Maeve, Dolores, Bernard, uh, and Ford, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, all right. Any other questions? Um, that was my big one and that was satisfyingly answered. So thank you. Okay. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, all right. So like, well, let's start. So we start, um, we think we're still in the park, right? And right. Maeve's in, uh, this park war world. And, uh, you know, presume I, one has to hope that if a guest comes to Westworld, cause I'm assuming this is based on a real park, park number four, uh, in, in the, the park. Um, presumably if someone comes to this park, uh, they want to play someone on the allied side, but I suppose one could play a Nazi if one wanted to. Like, I don't, but that, I don't okay. buy that. No one really aspires to be Nazis. Not now, not in this few. I mean, come on, that's, that's, that's too fantastical to believe. There's no, there's no <laughs> one in this country or anywhere who identifies with that ideology right now. You're right. How silly of me. Okay. Uh, preposterous idea. Um, but yeah, so, so we are in Italy. Maeve is there. She has this like misunderstanding. She sees Hector. Uh, he's named Ettore now. And, um, they have this like misunderstanding crossfire where he's in character as this like, uh, Italian spy. And she thinks he's talking about like the humans and all this sort of stuff when he's talking about, uh, the Nazis and all of that. So, uh, non-human individuals. So, right. Because um, poor Maeve's like whole thing is like, She's just constantly waking up somewhere and trying to have to figure out where and when she is. Oh, right. You know? And luckily she's like very smart now and can really figure it out. Not always was, I guess, and can, can figure it out like relatively quickly. But like as we see, you know, when she wakes up at Ciroc's kind of compound, she's like, okay, where am I now? Yeah. <laughs> you know? What the fuck now? What and, am I wearing her, now? Yeah. And her kind of like sad little disappointment when she realized that Hector was not Hector that she yeah. thought he was is just kind of like, she's like, Oh shit again. Like I'm, I am, I am alone. I thought I wasn't. And then it happens again with Lee. Yeah. And I mean, what's interesting to me is that the Hector stuff, the Hector stuff doesn't super work like perfectly for me. Cause I think some of the, like the double talk, like she's like, where are we? And he's like in hell. And she's like, ah, yes, the hell of robotic enslavement. He's like the hell of, Nazi era, um, Italy or whatever. Um, like it, it's all a little like, uh, clunky for me, but then like it lowered my expectations. And so they, they got me with the Lee reveal. Um, how did that, how did that work for you? It, it worked, except I was so confused because I was like, I thought all this was destroyed and a lot of you were dead. Like, I don't yeah. get it. Like, yeah. And I, and I know that that was intentional, but I think sometimes, you know, that felt a little bit like, um, you know, the complaints about season two where there was just too obfuscating. These timelines were too, uh, hard to, to parse. And actually it was too hard to even realize that there were different timelines. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. And so this is them trying to simplify things, but also kind of having like a sort of temporal mystery, but like wanting to solve it by the end of the hour. Um, and it felt a little bit like kind of like a gimmick for no reason, but I mean, I get, but you know, it was nice to see lee again and to also in that way like have mave really say goodbye to the real lee yeah um and i love when she was like he died a good man and all this stuff that they thought he was like that he was obsessed with me and what all this just was not true and yeah um, she's like you don't get it <laughs> you yeah. don't get it all who he was yeah, so if yeah. this is the end for that a- actor whose name i forget um S- simon quarterman yeah like um it was a nice little uh, send off i thought 
I also felt like she gave a really um sincere goodbye to the Hector character. So I would not be surprised if Rodriguez and Toro and Simon Quartermain don't come back at all in Westworld. I mean, they're guest stars this season. So do you um, think that um all the cast, all the cast members like Santoro and Marsden and Quartermain are like, wait, but why does Luke Hemsworth get to keep going? <laughs> why can't I be a secret robot that, that shoots myself in the head and I'm still here? Uh, ben Barnes maybe. threw something at the TV. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of got the sense that Marsden wanted out. I don't know. Like, that's completely... I have no evidence for that. Well, he had to do Sonic. But I, <laughs> but I kind of feel like... Um, and I wouldn't blame him because Marston was kind of, when the show started, Marston was kind of, I'm, like, I assumed that he would be, like, the third or fourth lead. And it's not like I a mind that Evan Rachel Wood and Tandy Newton um, are leads above him because, like, you know, uh, you know, good looking guys like James Marston get plenty of, of uh, HBO shows starring them. But, like, um but there's a lot of people that I think would be counted as leads above Marsden. And then they also with Teddy, like never really figured out anything like tremendously interesting to do with him until his death. Right. And so it, we, we talked about this last season and we felt like it was just sort of a, a waste of Marsden, who is a great, great, great actor. And I really like him. And so, um, like, Either the writers were like, we don't know what to do with Teddy or Marsden was like, I want out. But that's how his end last season felt to me was like, yeah. we got to we we can't do anything with this character. He's done. And then I the think, ri- go ahead. Yeah, I think the minute that um, the writers, maybe Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan, whoever, like figured out however early on that this was a show about um like kind of an allegorical thing about women kind of you know fighting off their oppression yeah the, the morrison character kind of lost a lot of like um use um yeah. which i think is fine because like you said like an actor like james morrison is going to be fine <laughs> and right. we didn't necessarily need like a teddy hero in this show right. um but yeah i think it's just an interesting thing where like I, it's rare that a show has shed so many principal cast members by season three yeah, and I, I mean, like, my conspiracy theory at the end of last season was that a lot of that was budgetary. Um, right. Because, you know, the, the, what we should say. So the, the ratings for Westworld were like, eh, okay, in season two, not anywhere near season one level. Um, and then they had like a pretty actually dramatic drop off this year. It's a negative 57%, I believe, is the viewership oh between season two and season three. And I think that, you know, the Westworld was famously like an enormously expensive show for HBO. Uh, and we've talked about how the idea of them filming, uh, like in Singapore and in Los Angeles, which they did for a lot of the like real world locations this year, um, is a lot cheaper than filming out, uh, you know, in, in the, in the Mesa, uh, area. But, um, but also just shedding cast members left and right is a big part of that. Cause they added people, but it's like really only just like Aaron Paul and Vincent Cassell that are like, I think main cast members this season knew. And they got rid of so many, like Shannon Woodward and like, um, you know, like uh, the actress who played Clementine and the actress who played Angela and the, you know, like they just like, they were dropping like flies at the end of last season. And so I just think that that's like a case of them wanting to streamline their cast budgetarily, but, but I have no actual evidence for that. So maybe it's just all storytelling. Um, all right. Sorry. That was a, that was a tangent. <laughs> um, 
but but you know if if uh lee sizemore and hector are never coming back i'm glad those characters got very sincere and um lengthy send-offs because lee sizemore especially like i was actually extremely excited to see him back and um i loved his interact even though it's like not the real lee sizemore i loved his interactions with mave uh in this episode and it made me realize how, retroactively how much i love the evolution of his character in season two uh so i, I was really glad for all of that yeah and i like any show that's about a, a lot of good-looking men um, sacrificing themselves to help Tandy Newton along in her journey. <laughs> As it should be. <laughs> so say we all. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, the New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Um, all right. So speaking of uh, handsome men uh, elsewhere in Westworld, uh, Luke Hemsworth and uh, Jeffrey Wright, a.k.a. Uh, Stubbs and Bernard, are finding each other again and figuring out what's going on with Maeve and in the real, real Westworld because Maeve's in a simulation. And yeah, it's a little tricksy for a while because you think they're on a collision course because, you know, they're both running around the Mesa, but it turns out she's in a fake Mesa. And as you say, like, yes, this that's them having their cake and eat it too in terms of like making it temporally complicated, but also resolving it before the hour, the episode's over. But the fact that they resolved it before the episode was over made me not irritated with it, if that makes sense. Like I would yeah, been really... Sure irritated if we were in war worlds all season or something like that and then it was like just kidding which is why when people like uh speculate that the dolores in the real world stuff is its own simulation like a lot of people think that like oh it's future world and dolores is actually i'm like that if they pull that again (laughs) i will be extremely irritated so oh yeah that would be a pain i i hope that i don't think that's true I hope it's not true. You never know with Westworld, but I hope it's not. Um, Something that was confusing to me about the uh, Stubbs and Bernard, which is a great name for like a 1984 action movie that's like uh-huh. a ripoff of Lethal Weapon or something, um, is uh, so there are obviously still Delos employees, security people, like kind of managing the park because Stubbs has a kind of, you know, he fights them off with an axe. Right. So I understand that, but why would there also be like medieval from another world? I guess we haven't seen hosts still in costume, kind of on their little loops in those glass cages. Like, was that just was that just kind of a stylistic thing, or is there some is there some reason to think that like we're going to see that more of that at some point? Um, I don't know. So, um, so there's six parks 
in the Dallas Destination galaxy. <laughs> um, and we've seen five of them. So there's, uh, if you count this medieval world stuff, that's five of the six that we've seen, which is the Raj, Shogun, Westworld, um, uh, War Worlds, and Medieval Worlds, right? So there's a fifth mysterious park. And I think they did say we were going to see all the parks before the show was over. And so I kind of feel like they showed us Medieval Worlds. So, so like, okay, now we know what that other park is. You know what I mean? Right. I don't know that we're ever going to go to there, though I, I wouldn't mind going there. Um, I, uh, Stubbs has some line about like, which felt a little hand wavy, but he's like, oh, everyone's just still doing their jobs, hoping that they don't get laid off. So I think it's just like the text. Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I think, I think the texts are just, you know, running their diagnostics and writing their narratives and all that sort of stuff like that as if the park is going to reopen uh, for business again. Yeah, this does suddenly seem depressingly familiar. Um, so, you know, just it, there are Getting no, no word from from the authority <laughs> right. about what's happening. Right. Chaos reigns. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah. There's no active. There are no active guests in the park. The park is shut down in that regard. They keep calling him Chinese Bernard. It's like a whole yeah. <laughs> Wuhan Bernard. <laughs> Wuhan Bernard. I don't know. Um, all right. Uh, but speaking of medieval worlds, uh, we should probably talk about the cameo in this episode. Uh, do you have any thoughts or feelings about the Game of Thrones cameo in this episode? So I know they were in it, but were they were in the medieval garb. Was that them? No. No, they were the techs. So Weiss and Benioff... Uh, who created Game of Thrones were these like two texts like Stubbs and Bernard are walking around. They're these two texts who are working on a dragon and the dragon is Drogon from Game of Thrones. Mm. And one of the texts uh, played by Dan Weiss says like, uh, there's a buyer who's interested off the coast, you know, uh, in a startup in an Island off the coast of Costa Rica or something like that, which is a Jurassic park reference, by the way. Um, and so they're like, and then the one played by David Benioff is like, how are we going to get this, something this big over there? And then the one played by Dan Weiss is like, uh, goes with a buzzsaw towards Drogon. Like they're going to cut up Drogon, the dragon from Game of Thrones and send him to Jurassic Park, I guess is the whole joke. Uh, that was not my favorite part of the episode to put it mildly. Um. <laughs> I have to be honest. I've watched the episode twice and I have missed that both times. Like that entire exchange has been like, I, like bl- it's very out background. It's very background. Okay. Um, it's not like it, it's happening as sort of um, Bernard and subs are walking past. And so like what's, what's possible or probable is that for most people, it might just like fly over their heads. Cause they like, aren't watching the show as obsessively as I am. Um, for me, I will just say, you know, since, since you don't recall seeing it, um, I will just say that the Weiss and Benny of it, of it all doesn't really bother me that much. Like that's fine. Give them they're Oh, cute. They're they're They work in medieval worlds and that's funny because game of Thrones is sort of medieval worlds. So like, that's kind of funny, but like the fact that Drogon's there, I'm like, why, but why, <laughs> why, why did you put your dragon? in this in this other show i don't know it just doesn't it seems like it see it, it left a really sour taste in my mouth so i wasn't a fan of it um all right does does everything that's happening with stubs make sense to you richard like in terms of why what he was doing in the park and and why he's going with bernard now yeah i mean i think that you know he just he's basically getting like like he's helping us 
realize what his arc this season's going to be. It's getting the info. It, it's it's chasing uh, Dolores around the world or wherever, trying to get her. You know, sometimes getting there ahead of her, maybe sometimes mis- just missing her. You know, it's cat and mouse kind of thing, which right. I think is like a fine setup for a season of television. But would feel maybe a little bit, um, you know, kind of predictable or stayed had there not been the uh, the Maeve factor kind of complicating things. Because again, her her mandate is a little bit more murky. Um, so I, yeah, I think I think like I like that these three have kind of been reduced to like being the kind of core triumvirate of the show. Um, further, kind of making me wonder what Aaron Paul's character is going to be all about as we continue. But. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I like that, um, and I think you know Stubbs is kind of a sidekick. That's that's cute, um, and also it brings to, um, you know, it brings another host out into the real world, um, yeah. you know, which is an interesting variable to have in play in in some way or another. Yeah, I, there's something about Luke Hemsworth and this role. I just like love him, and I love uh, I love Stubbs, and I'm really glad that they made him. A host so that he can still be on the show because <laughs> like i'm a i'm a big fan of him and i like the way that he's very um like the sarcastic way in which he interacts with bernard what do you make though of bernard reprogramming him like go- uh, to me it felt a little invasive like and and Stubbs makes it a joke where he's just like oh you could just if you wanted me to go with you, you could have just asked but like Bernard's like, okay, your new, like your new core drive is to protect, protect me at all costs. Like, you know, does that, does that jive with like the Bernard we've known? Is that like more of an Arnold move? Like, what does that, what does that seem like to you? Yeah. I mean, it felt a bit like maybe, um, less like trying to see a human side of, of a host, you know? I mean, I guess, Bernard is one too. Um, yeah, it felt a little bit like Westworld version of problematic, you know, like, yeah. like, let me have my free will, you know? Um, but I think he kind of also knew that Stubbs wouldn't do it on his own. So, um, you know, uh, and, and maybe that dynamic will keep changing. Who knows? Yeah, that, that would be interesting to see because like, you know, he's basically done to Stubbs sort of what Ford did to him. And, um, and, we should remember that this character that Jeffrey Wright is playing this season is not just Bernard. He's also Arnold. And the way we know that for sure, uh, is that when he like sort of hooks himself in, he like hooks himself into the system when they're in the sort of in the Mesa labs. Uh, and he has these flashes of memory and they're not just Bernard's memories. Cause he like remembers Dolores being in the forge, reading John Gallagher Jr.'s book, you know, like blah, blah, blah all of that. But he also has Arnold memories too. And so he's a little, a little bit Bernard, a little bit Arnold, uh, you know, a little bit Alexis. Like that's, that's who, uh, Jeffrey Wright is playing this season. And so if he does stuff that maybe we would think Bernard wouldn't do, that is perhaps his Arnold coming through. And we should remember that Arnold like programmed Dolores to kill all of the hosts in the park and then kill him, um, way back before, uh, Westworld opened. So, um, you know, this, you know, Arnold is, is like a kindly father figure, but he's also like, he also, you know, did some serious damage to his own creations in that way. So there you go. 
Um, all right. And then let's, let's, uh, let's hit this last major interaction, which is like, you know, Maeve, Maeve does her best to escape from this lab, this lab. Uh, we don't know exactly where it is, but, um, the warning signs, the warning stuff over the loudspeaker is half in French. So, um, you know, maybe she's in France, maybe she's in some like, uh, tropical island that speaks French. I don't know because maybe she's in Montreal. Oh, Montreal. Are there palm trees in Montreal? Yeah, sure. Um, sure. <laughs> um, but so she's, she is in, uh, the, you know, the headquarters of wherever the, like, the Insight Corporation, Rohoboam, like, shadowy, whatever, uh, headquarters are because, uh, the character of Serac, who we heard about last week, who is the guy with the access to the system and the guy who maybe killed Liam Dempsey's father and the guy who is like actually quite scary, um, is dressed all in beautiful impeccable whites and played by, uh, Vincent Cassell. And here he is, uh, enlisting Maeve's help. Um, what did you think of this character introduction? I think it's an interesting one. I think that like he adds a certain kind of, feisty kind of euro flair to it i think he and tandy newton are well matched um i think pretty much vincent cassell just gets a phone call and strides onto set in a beautiful crisp you know tailored suit looking like he was just you know on a yacht in the french riviera like he's just kind of got that aura about him when he wants to um and i think that that's a fun dynamic to add to this show you know um i think um you know I, i mentioned this last week but you know, he, he kind of, uh, Serac, um, kind of lays out what the, the sort of central hive mind of this season is with this big glowing orb. Um, and it really, about, you know, looking into the future and kind of having everything be on this deterministic path. And it really made me think a lot about Debs, which, you know, I mentioned last week, yeah. which is a show on Hulu, which is kind of about almost exactly the same thing. Um, and, you know, no, no knock necessarily Nick Offerman, who plays the kind of like central leader or creator of that technology on devs. I, I think that Vincent Cassell in this kind of like leisure, you know, wealthy uh, Frenchman mode is a bit more of an interesting, uh, you know, per, per guide through this sort of techn- technological idea, I guess. So I appreciated the energy he brought to basically <laughs> expositional dialogue. Um, and because, um, you know, uh, it's, it's kind of confusing things, but I, I think my understanding, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, is this visual motif that we've been seeing with this kind of glowing circle or a black circle, kind of almost like this stuff in Arrival, um, yeah. that says, you know, like, di- um, I forget what the term is. Um, like div- divergence. Divergence, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, basically, that's that's something that's coming from this big machine, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, like, if um Serac as a character is just going to be kind of like popping in and out to kind of, you know, issue new orders or whatever, or if he's really going to be sucked into the main uh sort of thrust of the season. I don't mind turning this briefly into like a devs and Westworld like co podcast right now, because what I think is interesting and, and I don't think you need to have seen devs to know this. I'll just give you some like basic uh background, which is this, that like, Devs is set in the near future in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. They filmed uh, in San Francisco and, and down in Santa Cruz. Um, and Nick Offerman like plays the the uh, you know founder of of this uh, 
tech company that, yeah, has, has, you know, the potential, let's say, to have a huge impact on the way in which we lead our lives. And something, you know, I, I, I got a chance to talk to Alex Garland when, when he was out here filming it and he, something he was talking about were these like titans of Silicon Valley, um, many of whom like walk around in like hoodies. Um, and Adidas slides or whatever, if you want to use the social network, uh, version of them. Like, well, they, they're these usually men, sometimes women, but usually men, um, who have enormous power over the way in which we live our lives, but are not elected or held in any kind of check at all whatsoever. You know what I mean? Like, they're not, uh, they're not the president. We can't impeach them. They just have a ton of money. And more than any other, you know, I guess you could say like, um, uh, you know, CEOs, same as it ever was in terms of like major powerful CEOs. But I think there's a difference between the way in which like, I don't know, a steel baron would control our lives back in the day versus like the person who puts the machine in your pocket at all time, the person who has like a camera on you at all times, who tracks your movements at all times, like the way in which digital uh, products have invaded our lives, you know, like, and I'm guilty of this as anyone, you know, like uh, have invaded and, and, and control and, and influence both subtly and unsubtly our lives um, gives these men tremendous power. And the fact that often in Silicon Valley, they come in the form of these like, you know, not necessarily exactly Nick Offerman, but like these very like unassuming seeming like, oh, I'm just a, oh, I'm just a guy with a hoodie. Like whatever. I'm chill. I do yoga. Like whatever. Uh, so I just think it is, it is a very different approach to have someone like Vincent Cassell, who is like, uh, born to be a supervillain. Um, you know, in his crisp suit, uh, be the head of this. I don't know. There's something, there's something to me a little bit more villainous about someone who looks like Nick Offerman, especially how Nick Offerman looks in devs, be the head of that yeah. organization versus yeah. Vincent Cassell, you know? I, I think, I think the difference between the two, and I think people really should watch devs. It's very interesting. Um, but the difference between the two is like one is kind of a horror movie about, someone who is kind of heedless to the rest of the world and just keeps kind of like amassing technological knowledge and, you know, ability because, you know, they're sort of on this like drip, like single-minded pursuit the way that, you know, you're, you're sort of prototypical um, nerdy kind of tech billionaire who realizes they have power, but, you know, but, but isn't quite sort of uh, has, doesn't really have any sort of ambitions about it beyond um, uh, just kind of more knowledge or whatever. And then you have a sort of like more slickster business person who is a capitalist in, in, in the truest sense and, and, you know, wants to kind of manipulate things that way. And I think that's more what, what Cassell's character is. And I think that like, if, you know, we're, we're setting this thing, you know, however many years in the future, like it stands to reasons that there would of course be the total, you know, that the kind of nerdy, um, you know, tech guys or, people but also that you know this kind of slick-minded business stuff would also come into it and sort of co-opt it and and apply their version of sociopathy to it you know um and i think <laughs> right. that that's a you know it's an interesting maybe we'll meet some of the sort of more zuckerbergy people on this show i don't know but i don't know if this show is really aesthetically interested in that in the same way 
Um, but I think both shows, pre- you know, present a very credible and equally chilling portrait of, like you said, massively powerful entities that are in the hands of private citizens. Right. Yeah. And we know that figures like Elon Musk um, are of interest to Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan. Um, So, you know, they have their, you know, that that's, these are the people that they've had their eye on ever since the beginning in terms of like, when you're talking about a Ford or a, you know, an Arnold, but I think it was easier for us to separate that from our reality when we're thinking about like, oh, these these men creating these life like robots. We're like, okay, that's one thing. Um, but <laughs> oh, uh, Visicasel has an algorithm <laughs> that determines what you know. Like it just that seems much more closer, you know, much closer to where we are right now. I don't know if that's you know. Accurate yeah, well, I think the interesting thing about what Westworld has done in its gradual pulling back, you know, it's gradually zooming out and out now because it starts with like, and this again, similar to devs in some ways, it starts with a, what if we could do this? What if we could have incredibly realistic robots who had some kind of consciousness, but also not. And then, you know, season two kind of takes a further step back and it's like, okay, in a world where that technology exists, there's no way that it would just be discreetly, used for that purpose. Uh, and there's no way that something as intricate and expensive and, you know, sort of um, totalizing as this park would only be used for as a pleasure palace, essentially. And then this season now in the, the two episodes we've seen, or we're t- two episodes we're talking about anyway, um, is taking another step back and saying like, okay, so like, here's really what the implications of a weekend in an old fake old West town where you can kill prostitutes and banditos <laughs> actually is all about, you know? Right. And I yeah, think because yeah. technology is never really about the stuff, the, the thing, you know, at the storefront, you know, like, like Facebook for many people in, in the world is I can message my aunt or see what my high school classmates up to, or post a photo of my dog. And that's perfectly benign. You know, and I think that that's why some casual users of something like Facebook are like, why is everyone so mad at Zuckerberg and worried about Facebook? And it's like, yeah. because that isn't, I mean, maybe that was the intent originally, but that is certainly not the intent of something like Facebook now. Um, and it, it has much further reaching power that like c- can be harder to see from the consumer level. Um, but like is, has really, you know, kind of creepy implications. And I like that Westworld has kind of slowly introduced us to that kind of scary fact about the technology that exists in our lives. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really fascinating, especially because uh, the way in which Serac talks about it in this episode and in some of the supplemental material that HBO released before the season started is that insights, you know, or, or let's say the way that Liam in the, in the season premiere talked about what his dad wanted. Right. So like insight is co-founded by Liam Dempsey senior and Sirach. And it seems like Sirach killed <laughs> Liam's father at some point and now has full control of the system. Um, but at least at one point, the idea of this algorithm was invented to try to curb what felt like a chaotic world. And like, certainly from where we're sitting right now, Richard and our respective apartments, uh, as the world feels incredibly chaotic around us, um, an idea of an algorithm that would 
you know, like what, what if someone came out today, came out of Silicon Valley today with something like, I have an algorithm that is figuring out exactly what we all need to do in order to completely flatten the coronavirus curve. And, you know, it, it involves the CDC doing this and our, our government doing this and private citizens doing this. And, you know, the algorithm says if we do all of this, then Corona will be nothing, no more by, you know, June. We are all in such a vulnerable place right now that I, you know, who's to say we wouldn't do that? We, I, right. I think we would really quickly cede power to that promise of stability. But then once that algorithm has that measure of control, and then we keep just ceding more and more power to it. I mean, that's, that's the premise of where we are here. Um, and not that, um, Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan could have predicted that we would be in the throes of this, uh, especially chaotic time as their third season is premiering, but it is helpful to understanding how the real world could have gotten the way that it has in this, you know, speculative fiction, this, this future, future sci-fi, uh, that they've created. Yeah, exactly. And I think that like, Thinking about it in those terms is kind of instructive to what is happening right now with, um, with COVID-19. Like, you know, I'm looking out my window, I'm in, into a kind of back alley in Brooklyn and I can hear birds and I can hear cars and my internet's working. I'm talking to you in, in California and, you know, I'm check, you know, checking my phone or whatever. Like everything seems relatively normal except that I've barely left my house in a week. And I think that like a lot of people, a lot of kids on the beaches in Florida, I don't really blame them. They're not getting the, the right information. But also just to, to the, to the, to the naked eye, it's like, well, nothing really has changed, right? But then you, you know, you hear something from a hospital in, you know, that's kind of overwhelmed in Seattle, or you hear about things, economic things, not just the stock market that the president is crowing about or whatever, but like there's stuff always happening underneath the kind of immediate surface thing that, you know, it's like a mushroom can have like a huge root system, but it's just a little cap, you know, up, right. you know, poking out of the dirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that's, you know, we have to think about COVID-19 in those terms. We have to think about all the preventative measures in those terms. It's like, yes, it to, to, in the immediate, it doesn't seem like anything is really happening, but like something big and far reaching is happening kind of beyond what we can see. And I think that like, that's what Westworld is partly the technology of Westworld is about. It's like, it's not just the one fantasy week. It's all of this other stuff. And um, I like that the show, um, is kind of expanding its kind of philosophical and technological inquiry, um, you know, because this show really is just is a show about free will. And um, like you said, like if we if we had a predictive tool that would solve an immediate problem, but meant that we had to give that predictive tool a lot of you know credo, uh, what would that what would that mean if we used it once? Then are we using it for the rest of our lives? You know, right. um, I don't really know. So I think, you know, and obviously this show is, is cognizant of that in the way that in the first episode, again, that really had to establish this world that we're going to be dealing with. We hear about, you know, the merit, you know, this sort of merit system of like, or like caste system almost of who can get what jobs and all like that. And so clearly that's a part of, of this, you know, this technology. So I don't know. I think it, I think that it's an interesting time to be watching this show and thinking about these things. Um, they're not perfect, you know, they don't graft onto each other perfectly, obviously, but, right, right. but they do pro, prod at kind of some of the same questions, I guess. Right. And the, you know, the, the, another real world parallel to think about is, is, you know, the last time I remember, you know, obviously there was a crash in 2008, but like the last time I remember is feeling like this, 
this vulnerable's 9-11. And when that happened, um, you know, the, we could not at the time, those, I'm sure plenty of people did, but we could not at the time maybe know the full scope of what enacting something like the Patriot Act, what ceding something, ceding powers to the Patriot Act, which was proffered as a, a promise of stability and security for us. Like we need to put forth the Patriot Act in order to ensure your the future of your secure existence in this country. So we see those powers and we see that trickled down over the years. Not I didn't mean to turn this podcast discussion to something so bum so much of a bummer, but it is I think it is it enriches um my experience watching Westworld to think of it through these terms. You think about the way in which, like, the, the Patriot Act trickles down through the years and, you know, we get something like ICE, like Border Patrol, like all that sort of stuff is related to, to the overreach of Homeland Security, is related to all of that. And so, you know, who knows what we might see now that would still be affecting vulnerable people years and years and years from now. So it's just stuff to think about. Maybe nothing. Maybe everything will be fine. But, um, you know, stuff that's on our mind and certainly makes this uh, this algorithm, this insight uh, corporation, this uh, Vincent Cassell, who, who is couching the tremendous amount of control that he and his system wield over everyone, is couched in the terms of, we're doing it all to curb chaos, to save humanity and curb chaos in the world. And that's the way, you know, these things are often packaged in, in, um, in, in, you know, in, in offers of, of, of savior something. So, um, yeah, uh, is there anything <laughs> less serious we want to, we want to end with before we, we close out today, Richard? Um, I don't know. I, I think that, uh, I, I'm very eager to, I, I hope that there's like a, <laughs> I hope there's one scene in this season and I, I've seen four episodes, so I, this hasn't happened yet. And I don't think it, if it happens at all, won't be till the end. I just hope there's like a kind of like post Avengers shawarma scene where like Maeve, Dolores and Bernard just like sit down and have a drink, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like they put everything aside and are just like, what a, what a thing, man. Huh? Like, you know, maybe every, all of humanity is dead around them. And they're just like, but like, I just, I like these characters a lot. Um, and I think that it's interesting that they're coming from such different places. And, and I like the heavy tone of the show, but like, I, I, I think, I hope that the show also just like lets us like for a second sit with the fact that like, they're fun characters and we're having fun with them. Yeah. I wouldn't, I would love to see them back in the Sweetwater saloon. Uh, one last time here, here, the, yeah, here put, the put old a song on the record. Piano. Yeah, yeah. Player piano. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So the, so the last question, um, where I will just float this before we close out where, as I, as we said, Richard and I have seen two more episodes, so we're not going to like necessarily speculate on this, but I just want to address it. Uh, we still don't know, who any of the like pearls are that Dolores has in mm-hmm. her, in her thrall, uh, out here in the universe. Um, so that's, that's a question that's waiting for us. And then, uh, we haven't seen William yet this season. So Ed Harris, where are, whither, where art thou? Uh, Ed Harris, uh, whither thou? So that's what we can look forward to on Westworld. Richard, until we return to the Sweetwater Saloon someday. Where can folks find you? They can find me at home, at my house, because that's where <laughs> I'm supposed to be right now. I'm taking walks. I'm not just cooped up all day, but I'm being careful uh, and doing m- more for other people than for myself. 
you know, I'm very, a very selfless person, Joanna, <laughs> as you know. Um, <laughs> I I, I'm forcing myself to sit at home and drink wine and watch TV. Um, it's terrible. Um, but anyway, and while I do that, I'm on Twitter at Rylaws. Uh, I've been writing stuff for VF.com, reviews of various streaming things that you can watch uh, while you're also hopefully doing the same. Joanna, where will you be until next week? Oh, I'm at home. Good. I am at home, uh, sheltering in place, as we say in California. Um, I did go to the grocery store briefly yesterday. It was harrowing <laughs> and I don't want to do it again soon. So, uh, I just turned into like one of those people, like so quickly where I was like, don't, don't touch, don't come near me. Don't look at me. Like that's, 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 uh, that's the state of my mind right now. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm sheltering in place. Uh, if you want to find more of my work, you can go to vf.com. Uh, yesterday I put up a, a little guide on like how you can rewatch all the Marvel movies if that's something you decide you want to do, uh, in your, in your quarantine. Why not? Now's the time. Uh, you can, you can watch them in a couple different orders. So I put up those options over on vf.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe wrote this. We will be back next week with episode three of Westworld. Everyone stay safe and healthy. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz. Um, who should be the mayor of New York? We all support yeah, that. we support that. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.